0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and today... Ladies and gentlemen, we're going a full seven rounds. Day one, day two, day three for the Burgundian goal. Now we're sitting here on April 3rd. We've got a couple more weeks until the draft, just a couple more podcasts for you guys until we land in Kansas City for the 2023 NFL draft. It's coming quick, right? We've had pro days, still going on for a couple teams, a couple players individually. Pre draft cycle is wrapping up, right? combine's done, senior bowl, shrine bowl, all those events are over. We are now really April, start of spring, and draft season is officially in full gear. Crank that thing up into fifth gear because that's where we are, folks. So with today, this isn't just going to be a normal mock draft. I want to try to give you guys a full immersive experience as far as What I'm hearing out of Ashburn with the positions and the specific players and the specific scheme fits that they could bring into the building this time next May. Because as we sit here on May 3rd in a month, this Washington draft class is going to be in the building and working out in Ashburn. So again, for today, guys, day one, day two, day three, I'm going to give you a full immersive experience into where I think Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, Ron Rivera, Eric bien and Jack Del Rio are going to go come draft weekend. With Washington, don't have the most picks in the world, but they don't have just five or six. Got a good allotment of picks on each day. Got nice compensatory picks here, there, on day two and day three. But at 16 overall, the first pick for me in Washington... They can go a multitude of routes. And, and where I want to, with these picks as well, guys, I'm not just going to make the pick and move on. I want to give you guys, again, as much in-depth detail about the player and where I think Washington can go from a specific positional value perspective as well. So at 16, is it, is it corner? Is it tackle? Is it the interior? Are they, could they grab a tight end? Right. Those are the popular positions that you're hearing right now. We're all hearing. It's, it's those secret where Washington needs to add in the first round. But for me, it starts at corner. Because I think moving into this fall, Charles Leno will be the left tackle and Andrew Wiley will start on the right side, moving Sam Cosme into guard. The competition will come within the interior at the left guard center and right guard spots between Andrew Norwell, Chase Rullier, Nick Gates, and Sam Cosme. Then you got guys obviously like Cornelius Lucas. Where does that leave him? Where does that leave Sadiq Charles? They drafted Chris Paul on day three from Tulsa last spring. But at 16, it starts at corner. And when I look at the board here, obviously you would want your Christian Gonzalez from Oregon or Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. Those are the top two corners on my board. Guys that are scheme specific. Guys that can do a multiplicity of things. But for me, my eyes turn to a local kid in Deontay Banks from the University of Maryland. A guy four or five years down the road, folks. I would not be surprised if he is the best corner from this class. And that's saying a lot because this corner class is overwhelmingly deep with guys that can play man, play zone, come downhill, make plays in the football not afraid to stick their face in in the run, mirror and match guys on the outside, whether you're facing a 6'2 X receiver or you're facing a a 5'10 slot guy. It does not matter. But when I look at Deontay Banks and microscope his ability at Maryland and projecting it to the NFL level and a short 20-minute drive from College Park to FedEx field in the years to come, that is a player right now that could be a CB1 and progress into an individual that shuts down a third of the side of the field which also would raise eyebrows for a guy like Benjamin St. Just on the outside who was looked upon to be a CB1 coming out of Minnesota just a few years ago, which would also move Kendall Fuller to that CB3 role and also make him versatile to play inside and out, which is where I like him. Now, Danny Johnson is back. He's supposed to align at nickel and share some snaps with Rashad Wild Goose, who's supposed to be that CB5. But you get a guy like Teontay Banks in the building, I have no issue with him aligning against any of the receivers that Washington has to face twice a year in the NFC East. You all know the names. So for me in the first round, Deontay Banks from Allen, a guy that can do it all, right? You ask him to align and press, use his hands, reroute a receiver to the inside, understand leverage, understand where he's getting help from, where he's not getting help from. I think his ball production is a little bit untapped because he wasn't tested a ton for the Terrapins. You want to ask him to play seven yards off in zone, which we've seen a lot from Jack Del Rio over the last few years because he has not had the athletes to sit on the outside and consistently play man and allow those defenders at the second level, especially those linebackers, to hunt downhill and blitz and offer you some unique things. Washington has lived in zone over the last five. Three to four years, that's where they've lived because, again, they haven't had the guys, the bodies, to sit on the outside of man and cover these Devonta Smiths and CeeDee Lambs of the world and A.J. Brown, obviously. So getting a guy like Deontay Banks at 16th overall fills a massive need, it's positional value. He may be a, a top, really, 11, 12 player in this class, depends on who you talk to, and I think he can do everything well whether you want to ask him to play man or zone because you have to be able to do both at the NFL level. So Deontay Banks is where I'm going in the first round. Jump to the second round. This is where it gets fun, folks, because you could go... Are they going to go tackle? Is it going to be an interior guy, as I mentioned, at 16? Could they go linebacker? Would it be potentially a guy that could play some corner, play some safety, that hybrid? A lot of different routes. Could they go edge? I think that's a sneaky spot, guys, to keep an eye on because of... Where Washington sits with their roster with Montez Sweat and Chase Young and the depth behind them. Yeah, they've added some guys the last few years and day three picks and guys like James Smith Williams and William Bradley King and Shaka Tony. Casey Tuhill's been a nice free agent addition. F.A. Obata has been a nice free agent addition but where their most bodies have been and will continue to be are within the interior, obviously, with John Allen to Ron Payne and Phil Mathis coming back into year two, really his redshirt year after drafting him in the second round Alabama last year, and then John Ridgway has been an excellent addition coming over from Dallas, and they put him on waivers after drafting him on day three last year. But at edge, you're kind of running out of bodies because if Montez sweat Chase Young, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, Chase Young's moving into year four. And Montez Sweat is moving into year five, already. So there's some questions here as far as what Washington's future is at edge, but for me, and what I want this offense to be, and what I've heard out of the building as far as what Eric Bieniemy wants his offensive pillars to be and the skill sets around Sam Howell, you gotta get a tight end in the building that can not just play attached to the line of scrimmage as a Y but be able to be that F and flexed out to the slot and flexed out to the perimeter and force the defense to account for all of your athletes not just Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson in the passing game or Curtis Samuel or Brian Robinson or Antonio Gibson coming out of the backfield so for me in the second round I am taking Sam Laporta tight end from the University of Iowa tight end you really is the University of Iowa. Look back to all the names that have come out over the last few years. You're George Kittles of the world, TJ Hawkinson's Noah Fant. The names go on and on and on. And Sam Laporta is that next name to come out. Really, it was the Iowa offense, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the Hawkeyes, was ugly. There's really no—just to watch the Iowa offense, you can go back and watch some of the guys in the front five for them— Or you just watch Sam Laporta. The offense was really embarrassing. Um, It was rough. And Sam was consistently a guy that had to shoulder the load at the tight end spot. Defenses knew the ball was going to Sam Laporta. He still was able to out-leverage opponents, get the ball in his hands, and create after the catch as well and make guys miss. And you add that into Washington's offense where they are going to run the ball with some success. You add guys like Nick Gates in the middle, that beef, you want to pound it up the 0-1-2 holes, Right, or you want to ask him to flex out and create in the passing game. You want to sling it 35 plus times a game with Sam Howell and let those guys in the outside eat. He can do that. A guy that can do it all. And you look at Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City, Travis Kelsey. We know who that is, right? No need to go further explanation there. But the guys behind him over the years, right? Jody Fortson, Blake Bell, Noah Gray, a lot of different names. You even think of a guy like Michael Burton that really started his career in Washington, if you guys remember. He was a fullback played that H-back for that Kansas City offense of the last few years and did a lot of different things for them both in space and as a blocker. But Sam Laporta opens up everything from an offensive playbook both horizontally, so east to west, and north-south vertically. He can stretch the seam. He can do some different things in the run game whether you're asking him to not displace a five-tech at 250 pounds, but get his body in the way and win technically within the interior. He can do that as well. I just love his game because it is refined and really it's untapped from a performance ceiling perspective with the skilled players that Washington already has in the building. So I got to get a guy in the building that can, again, force matchup nightmares on defense. That's what Eric Bieniemy has made his living on in Kansas City, forcing defenses to do things that they don't want to do. So Sam Laporta in the building, in this tight ends room. Look, John Bates is moving into year three, Cole Turner into year two. Logan Thomas could very easily be a cap casualty. You guys know my thoughts on Armani Rodgers. I like the kid. He's athletic. He's the most athletic tight end Washington has in their tight ends room right now. He's moving into year two, quarterback convert from Ohio. But what do you do there? Because right now, he's still tight end four on your depth chart. And he was a UDFA. But you turn on the Green Bay game, you turn on the Colts game, and you see what his ability to do as far as a flex weapon. And maybe there's some pop there. But you got to get guys that change the math. And Sam Laporta does that. So my first two picks, Deontay Banks, corner from Maryland. And Sam Laporta, tight end from Iowa. So let's move in to the third round. And this is where you build your roster. The back end of day two, into day three. You have to get guys that come in and not just compete, but produce. Glue guys that you're going to get production from. And when I look at Washington's roster right now, one hole as we filled this, the corner hole, we filled the tight end hole. There's still holes right on this on this roster, but for me a priority and a guy that Washington has already had in on a top 30 visit is linebacker DeMarvian Overshone. And what I like about DeMarvian's game is his ability to play both the second level and then flip his hips and work back to the third level, those shallow portions 15 to 20 yards deep into the into the secondary. Because he was a former safety, he was a safety convert to the linebacker position. And you watch him play the game, he has a little bit of a throwback style game to where sometimes he'll put his ears back and work downhill through those A and B gaps and blow up a running back. But then you ask him to buzz out on running backs and tight ends in space, and he can do that too and showcase the, that ability to cover like he did as a safety even dating back to his high school days. But with DeMarvin here on day two, again... Washington has only had two top 30 visits as of now, sitting here on April 3rd. And that's Overshone. and Antonio Mafi, a guard from UCLA. When you bring guys in for a visit, you can have all your calls or your Zooms. But when you bring guys in for a visit, there's interest there. And for me, this linebacker spot, Cole Holcomb is gone. I like Cody Barton. I really do. I like Jamin Davis, but you got to get some competition in the building. Some young guys that can do a lot of different things. We know Washington, what they like to do at the second and third level with these kind of hybrid defenders, right? Look at Derek Forrest, how he was able to evolve last year playing that Buffalo nickel spot. I think there's maybe some more snaps out there for a guy like Khalid Hudson. You look at what Jeremy Reeves can do, not just as a special teams guy, but a guy that can cut his teeth on defense at play high at safety or come down into the second level and blow up running backs and blow up a tight end or receiver coming across the field. So athletes, 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 and DeMarvian Overshone fills a need at linebacker because guys, I know David Mayo, Nathan Gary, those guys are under contract. Jamin's back. Cody Barton's going to get a lot of snaps in the second level, but Washington has not had that, second-level presence that they thought they were going to have from Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb for a long time. We haven't had a LeVar Arrington, a Marcus Washington, Michael Barrow, London Fletcher type of second-level defender for a long, long, long time. Now, LeVar Arrington, especially, and London Fletcher are unique athletes, right? They were really, in their time, premier linebackers in the NFL. London Fletcher is still one of the most underrated linebackers ever to play the frigging game of football, But for me, I got to figure out the second level and the lungs and the core of my defense. And a guy like DeMarvian that does a lot of things well, both in the run and in coverage, that can do a lot of different things from a sub-package perspective, whether you want to start him or whether you want to play him 50 to 55% of the snaps and work, again, in those sub-packages and offer some unique looks for offenses. So for me in the third round, DeMarvian overshone linebacker from Texas. All right, now moving back into the fourth round. This is the start of day three. And this, folks, is where it becomes really fun. And the reason I say that is because you watch ESPN or you watch NFL Network and everybody knows the top 50 picks, 60, 70 picks. But as you move into round four, five, six, right, and on day one, there's draft parties. You guys are bringing friends over. You got drinks. You got food. Every single pick is microscoped. You're working at day two by the time we get to day three people are shopping people get the notifications on their phone who they're drafting you're out mowing the grass you're doing whatever you're doing but for day three and what separates us at TDN is understanding what these guys on day three who they are bottom line who they are and what they offer an NFL team on offense or defense and guys that will offer special teams value from day one. It's not just showing commercials and letting picks pop up and just showing a couple highlights and moving on. I'll have a lot of analysis, obviously, on my Twitter of all the guys that the commanders take and what I'm hearing out of the building leading up to draft night and throughout draft weekend. So you want to know who these players are and what they're actually offering Washington? give me just a little tip. Shoot me a follow on Twitter if you don't already, underscore Ryan Fowler, to understand what these guys will offer, not just as names at their flyers. We're here in round four. I'm going tackle because, again, guys, I don't know the future. Let Charles Leno, look, average at times, slightly above average, but then there's times where you're just like, Charles, I can't play you right now, big fella. I can't play you. Sam Cosme, I'm not sliding him over to left tackle. Cornelius Lucas could be a swing tackle, potentially. But I need a future there. Washington lost Trent Williams multiple years ago. They have not been able to fill that spot since. Now, Trent's a one-of-one talent. We understand that. He's destined to be in Canton one day, and he deserves it. He's a hell of a player. One of the best players in the NFL still today. But if you're having a young quarterback in the building in Sam Howell, in the years to come, not just this year, you got to get guys that can protect his blind side and have that positional flexibility to play on the right side as well. So my attention turns to the pipeline that Washington has always gone back to, almost seemingly every single draft. They took two guys out of there last year, and that's at Alabama, in Tuscaloosa, and Tyler Steen, a guy that I absolutely loved watching down at the Senior Bowl. There may not be a stronger tackle in this class. You watch him compete at Bama, a a Vanderbilt transfer. So kind of a smaller SEC school to a obviously blue blood program at Alabama coached by Nick Saban. And he is somebody that can have that positional flex as a young kid, has SEC experience against going against the top edge rushers in the country every single week and at every single day of practice to come in and produce. Whether you ask the kid to compete with Charles Leno and start or... As a depth guy for down the road, and you want, you want to let Charles walk potentially next year and slide him in. I love his game. I really do. Whether it's in the run and ask him to put those cleats in the ground, move forward three, four yards, use his hips, dig those cleats to the ground, seal those linebackers outside, five techs, win with his hands inside the breastplate of the defensive lineman, and the rep just stops because he is overwhelmingly strong within his upper half and in his hands. A powerful punch. A powerful punch powerful powerful punch and that matters to shock those defensive linemen back forward say oh hey i made a little slow down a little bit here i got i got a big boy where i can punch me in the throat a little bit and and, and provide that punch back because we know how successful and and athletic these edge rushers are nowadays right there's not the 265 70 pound rushers you got these hybrid 240 240 45 pound guys that run 4 4 4 5 they're coming off the edge You get a guy like Tyler Steen that can stick his, he's at right tackle, stick that right arm out and seal him off the edge. Or he's at left tackle, stick that left arm out, seal the guy back inside and the rep's over. That matters. And I think he's someone that has a lot of fresh tread on the tires as far as someone that can come in and develop for down the road and as strong as an ox. So here in the fourth round, I'm going with Tyler Steen tackle from the University of Alabama. Now moving into round five, this isn't a situation yet where you go BPA, or right? BPA stands for Best Player Available. Here, Washington still could grab guys to where it remain. Again, may be seen where Washington goes on day three. Over the last couple of years, right, we saw Sam Howell taken in, in the fifth round. Cole Turner saw John Bates two years ago. We've already taken our tight end, so it's gonna be three straight years, in my opinion, that Washington will go tight end. But they gotta get a dynamic playmaker. So obviously, took Sam on day two, but here. I'm going edge, and I want to get a young, twitched-up guy that a heck of a combine, and that is Yaya Diaby from the University of Louisville. And what makes Yaya unique is the fact that he is 6'3", 263, got the length that you want, and is someone to where he does not have to be a guy that starts on day one. He's a rotational DPR, designated pass rusher that can come in and provide some pop and some juice for you. Ladies and gentlemen, there are three positions on offense or defense to where you can never have enough guys that do a specific thing. One is edge rusher to where you can never get after. You can never have enough guys that can after the passer and push the pocket. Second is corner. Never have enough guys that can cover straight up. And the third is receiver. You can never have enough guys that understand how to separate and create those throwing windows for quarterbacks. So, edge guys here, Yaya Diaby from Louisville, an untapped guy as far as production. I liked the tape. I saw the twitched up stuff that I saw at the combine. 4 5 140, one, five, six, 10 yard split, which is basically talking, it basically highlights a guy's explosiveness. So, obviously, it matters at edge. You got to fire off that football. 37 inch in the vert, 10 foot broad. That showcases that lower half flexibility and that explosiveness to fire off the football, whether he's at five tech or in a in a four-point stance, a three-point stance, or whether he's standing up on the edge as a wide nine outside of the tight end. I want a twitched up guy. And a round five and in an edge class that has a ton of talent, a lot like the tight end class, a lot like the corner class. Yaya Diaby, I think, is a kid that I've gotten to know personally during this process. Really good kid, fundamentally sound, and again, untapped as far as his potential moving into the next two to three years within a line and a front a front four defensively, to where really the future of Chase Young and Montez Sweat remains up in the air. So, again, Yaya Diaby from the University of Louisville, I'm going with here in round five. Moving into round six. Now, this is where a lot of teams go best player available, right? If you're a team that has a luxury, luxury picks, some teams like Kansas City or Philadelphia or Cincinnati, they have, or Buffalo have that luxury. Well, I wouldn't say Buffalo too much. They have, they have some holes in their roster specifically, but Cincinnati, Philly, and Kansas City really are teams within this whole draft where they could go luxury, where they want to trade up, where they want to trade down, take a guy that they like at, Look at the Eagles at 10, whether it's going to be a Bijan Robinson from Texas, right? Well, I know all of you guys don't want to be dealing with that for, for, the long, for the long haul up in Philadelphia with that offense, but some teams are going to have a luxury picks. And, but for Washington here in, in the sixth round, I thought there was a lot of value on the board that fell to me here. And with that pick, I'm going back to corner. And again, you can't have enough guys that can cover and I'm just not rolling out. I'm not doing the same thing that Washington did last year. And this is a kid that I've heard Washington has expressed some interest in. And that is corner Kalef Hylassi. Again, Kalef, K-A-H-L-E-F Hylassi from Western Kentucky is someone that was really, looked really, really good out at the Shrine Bowl, long physical corner. Has that atypical zone corner body, kind of long and lanky. He looks a lot like Cameron Dansler and a little bit less bulk to his body than a Benjamin St. Juiced. And if you're Jack Del Rio and you want these guys that can come in, that can work seven yards off the ball and use that length to come downhill and make plays at the catch point and be that CB5, CB6 and offer you some value on special teams – Hylassi is a guy that I like and again has that versatility can play on the outside if you want him to play some some reps at nickel and use the length within that five yard contact window to reroute receivers keep his eyes up on the quarterback and on the receiver has a nice habit of doing that when I saw for the Hilltoppers his ability to really understand where his landmarks are in coverage and just Bottom line, folks, understand what the hell he's doing because so many guys from a young age come in and they just don't know what they're doing from the college to the pro game. But I think he's a guy, again, at Western Kentucky, not a big school, a mid-major program, but has sneakily kind of produced NFL talent the last few years. And there's even guys to know down the road for Western Kentucky. You look at receiver Daywood Davis, Malachi Corley. They had Jareth Stearns come out last year, who's a UDFA with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They have an interior defensive lineman to know this year that was dominant at Shrine and Broderick Martin. They got some players. So, again, this is a pick to where you're getting bodies and you're adding depth on the perimeter. Is he going to be a guy I expect to be on the roster three, four years from now? Probably not. But he is somebody that I think you give him a chance, you give him reps, and I think he'll produce some value for you and give you some of that positional versatility here in the back end of the sixth round that you like at the position and you just need bodies to come in and to compete because you brought Cameron Dantzler in to compete right with Benjamin and Kendall in this mock I just drafted Deontay Banks on day one getting some fresh bodies in the building that could do a lot of different things it never hurts to have competition and we know Ron Rivera in the past likes to bring in bodies a lot of different positions to compete and see ultimately who comes out on top. So again, here in the sixth round, Kalef Hylassi, corner from Western Kentucky. A couple picks later, about 20 picks, Washington comes back on the board. And I'm going interior O-line here because I like Chris Paul. I think he offers some versatility at center and guard. But this is a player, I hope he's on the board here. If he is, I'm running to the podium and taking him. And that is guard John Gaines the second from ucla i've talked about his teammate in Antonio mafi earlier on a top he's on a top 30 visit with washington i love his game but i think he'll be a late day two guy i would not expect john to be here in the sixth round but in this simulation he was and that's why i just said if he's if he's here in the sixth round the 215th pick i'm sprinting to the podium and taking him to offer a guy look versatility Along the front. You got to get a guy that can wear not just a multitude of hats. But wear them well. And I watched John in his feet. Footwork. 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 His hands and his eyes. And ability to not just move guys in the run game. Drop that ass. And the anchor. In the passing game. Sit it down in the grass. And holster against these guys. That are 310, 315 pounds. You got to be able to do it, not just run game, but the passing game as well, and be able to get out and pull as well. We know that Washington's going to do different things on offense this year. You got to get guys in the building that can also match your scheme. Whether you want to run gap, you want to run zone. John Gaines can do both. I like him here in the sixth round. Give me a big boy up front with some power five pedigree, lots of experience, tons of snaps along that UCLA front five give me some again positional versatility and athleticism with the big boys we know Washington likes athletes within the interior and on the perimeter at the tackle spots so John Gaines guard from UCLA I like the pick here in the sixth round so moving back to round seven all right last pick here Washington has this compensatory pick and this is where we get to have a little fun and sitting at 233 and you look at where I've gone in this mock draft and again Dating back to what I have heard out of the building, the running backs heading into 2023. I know you guys have, over the last few years, right, you've been pissed with Antonio Gibson, the ball security, did a nice job of that this last fall. Brian Robinson has been an excellent selection. The Situation he went through, the way he came back, he is RB1 moving forward, but it's going to be him and AG. From the conversations that I've gathered over these last few weeks, is Washington wants to add a guy in the backfield with J.D. McKissick now gone, right? Jonathan Williams is still there. Understand that I like Jonathan's game, more of a special teams core guy right now, and a guy that could potentially slot into some more carries if Brian or Antonio were to get hurt or they want to amuse him on some goal line situations, which we've seen over the last two years. But here, Washington wants to add a guy, if not in the seventh round, as a UDFA, is a guy that offers some flex... Ability in the backfield like JD did some a guy that has a change of pace a little bit of burst a little bit of speed that can work in pass pro as well and work out in space and showcase his hands but a guy that offers some return ability on special teams and when I think about guys that are uber versatile and what they did and the production to match with guy that was in a power five conference and a team that wasn't successful and he basically holstered the entire offense. Is Evan Hull from Northwestern and a young man that I've gotten to know during this process, someone that would fit the mold of what Ron Rivera likes in his players? Do you think you look back to when they took Jamin Davis in 2021 and military kid, Washington had a a need at linebacker, uber-athletic, fit the modern mold. That was the easy pick. We all knew that heading into night one. Not just from, obviously, what was leaked out of the building with Jamin. But the bottom line is, with Evan Hole here, really underrated for the Wildcats. And an offense that, again, a lot like earlier when I talked about Sam Laporta, the offense ran through Evan. They didn't win a game on U.S. soil this year. They beat Nebraska and Ireland to open up the season. But Evan Hull is somebody that's just going to come in, bring his lunch pail to work every single day, and offer that versatility that they like. I think you look at Jarrett Patterson and the comparisons that you could provide with Evan Hole. Not the biggest guys in the world, battle their tail off, do anything they ask for you, whether you want to early downs and ask him to run between the tackles or create on the, in zone on the outside, do some outside zone stuff with your tackles. Then he asked him to work on special teams, and he can do that as well. And a ton of production to back that up. Not only did he rush for... 1,000 yards last year, came back and ran for 913 yards in 2022, seven touchdowns last year, five touchdowns this year. But when I look at him and what his role could be for this offense, because again, you look at Washington's running back depth chart right now, you know Robinson and Gibson are going to be dressed on game days. But who is at RB3? Is it Jonathan Williams? Or could it be a guy like Evan Hole? His first three years of school didn't return a kick. Then in 2022, again, versatility, he returned nine kicks, 181 yards, about 20 over 20 yards in average per kick return. That shows me that he has some potential with the ball in his hands in space and as a kick returner to where Washington has lacked. We know for a long time how much Washington has lacked as far as that field flipper, whether it's a punt returner or a kick returner. We don't see many kick returns nowadays with all the touchbacks and the change rules, which stinks. The Devin Hester days, the Brian Mitchell, the Josh Cribbs, all those guys made their living really as kick returners and just flipping games. Right? Well, look at Devin Hester against the Colts, opening kickoff, took it back to the crib. I mean, it's just it takes. It's some of the fun has been taken out of the game because of how electric those guys that I just mentioned were on special teams. And the Burgundy and Gold, ladies and gentlemen, I know you remember Brandon Banks. I know you guys remember Brandon Banks and how fun he was to watch. Every single time that kid got the ball in his hands, he was a jitterbug in space. And when he got up to full steam, good luck catching him. But Washington hasn't had that in the building. That guy that can take it the distance and be a threat with the ball in his hands on special teams every single time he touches the football. So Evan Hull from Northwestern, again, not a guy that's going to run 4-2 or 4-3, but a guy that's sure-handed and provide you some of the pop both at the running back position, whether you want to work him on third downs and offer some of that special teams versatility if need be. And I think a couple other guys that you look for at that spot as well, the Washington could go as far as running backs. Tyon Evans from Louisville, quicker kid, smaller as well in stature, some of the same versatility. Keaton Mitchell, kid out of East Carolina, that again, similar stature, smaller kid's going to go late, mid to late day three, had a lot of success for the Pirates this year down in Greenville. Just a couple of names to keep an eye on as we move back to day three in the UDFAs, but I will have another predictive, final predictive seven round mock for Washington out my last podcast before the draft. So that'll be around April 20th or 21st before I leave for Kansas City. But where I am now, Deontay Banks, Sam Laporta, Demarvian Overshone, Tyler Steen, Yaya Diaby, Kalef Hylassi, John Gaines, Evan Hull. That is my haul for Washington right now as we sit here on April 3rd. Guys that fill a multitude of positions, Guys that can wear a multitude of hats and do different things, both offense, defense, special teams, young legs. Because Washington right now, you look at the offense and defense, they have the talent in the building to make the playoffs. It's the bottom line, folks. They have the talent to get there. Now, it's just about execution. You can look on paper. You can look on depth charts, wherever you want to look, and say, ah, this is a roster that has some potential. But they gotta be able to put it together. So getting guys in the building, young players that can fill roles, whether you're asked to be a starter on day one, or as a depth piece, or someone that's gonna potentially compete to earn a roster spot, or spot excuse me, or end up on the practice squad here in 2023. But that's gonna do it for today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed. If you did, please leave a like, review, share, subscribe, or on up a podcast, on Spotify. If you don't already, you can shoot me a follow on Twitter at underscore. Ryan Fowler, all my written work is housed at the including more audio and video content. Again, always appreciate you guys. Hope you guys enjoyed. Again, this is the first edition of a seven-round mock for you guys. I will have a final predictive mock out for you about a week before we get to the NFL draft. I'll we'll have an episode out for you next Monday. Topic remains to be seen. You guys are going to have to tune in to check that out. But again, always appreciate you guys' time. Hope everything's going well with you guys. Look, the start of the spring is here. The weather's getting warmer. We're in April. The NFL draft is just a couple weeks away. Everything is wrapping up, as I mentioned at the top. Pro days to pre draft events are all concluded. Now, guys are going on visits, right? It's it's close to football, ladies and gentlemen. The weather's getting warmer, which means the summer's here. Rookie mini camps, training camp. Look, it's April, but we know it It comes up fast, right? You go on vacation once, head to the beach, come back. Oh, we're at training camp. Right? But here we're in the preseason. Look, happens fast. You guys know that. I'll take you through every single step of the way. Always appreciate your time here at Commanding the Huddle. So I will talk to you guys next Monday. I'm Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe.